everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Trevor Hall here, your host with our Friday morning long form episode. We have a lot to cover with two segments. First, we welcome in Peter Bookvar from The Book Report. And then we welcome in another publisher, Bart Grimaire, the Belgian himself, to talk about specifically precious metals in a couple of the site visits in junior mining he has been on in the last few months. Special thank you to our sponsors, Western Copper and Gold, Arizona Sonoran Copper, and also Integra Resources. Before we jump into my discussion with Peter, uh, one programming note. Uh, Next two weeks are going to be a little bit uh, different as far as scheduling, as Paul Harris will be at the Zurich Precious Metal Summit covering that for the podcast. And as he returns home from Zurich, I'll be departing to Frankfurt for the Deutsche Goldmess uh, show uh, next week. Uh, So we're going to have a ton of corporate updates here in the next couple weeks to get us through next week and also the following week, which is the Thanksgiving week here in the United States. Uh, We also have some great interviews lined up for next week. I also get get through, including the one and only Tony McCooch is on the schedule. So we're going to try to get that into the lineup along with the much anticipated discussion with Adrian Rothwell of Angled Resources. So stay tuned for that schedule. It's going to be uh, a little bit very frequent, but we won't be doing the morning briefing, but a lot of corporate updates. All right, let's jump into my discussion with Peter Vukvar, where we talk the inflation numbers, uh, the move in yields, the move in precious metals, and also the contagion in the crypto sector. All right, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you soon. Be well. Welcome back to Mining Stock Daily, everybody. This is our Friday morning long form episode, and we're going to kick things off with our first segment with Peter Bookvar, the chief investment officer over at Bleakley Financial Group, and he's also the editor of the Book Report publication. I get in my inbox and read every time it hits. Uh, Peter, glad to have you on this podcast this week because. Uh, there's never a dull week anymore when it comes to markets, but this week in particular just seems just incredibly uh, – every day was a new story. Uh, so maybe we'll work our way present to backwards. Let's talk about this CPI print that came out Thursday morning. 7.7%. Uh, it was a beat. Expectations were 7.9% increase year over year. Uh, markets rallied incredibly. The NASDAQ was up 7.5%. Have you ever seen the NASDAQ up 7.5% in one day, Peter? Uh, the last time, I think, was March 2020. Okay. <laughs> so when, 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 when QE was at full force once again. Yeah, when the Fed uh, said that they're going to start buying corporate bonds. Okay, give us, you know, what was this? Technic- technical buying, all clear, short squeeze? What do we see today? Well, we, we, we know that markets uh, trade on, on the direction of monetary policy. And they don't like it when the Fed's tightening and they love it when the Fed's easing. Not that the Fed's going to be easing anytime soon, but the the CPI number, if it's repeated in December, uh, will reinforce that we're closer to the end of these rate hikes. But we sort of knew that anyway because the Fed told us that they're going to start lowering the pace or slowing the pace 
of, of rate increases. But inflation has been showing signs of topping for months now. Uh, core goods prices are down uh, six out of the last seven months on a rate of change basis. It's been offset by the acceleration in services, mostly because of rents, but anybody who looks at things other than the Bureau of Labor Statistics data knows that rental price increases have been moderating. Uh, but at least today shows you know, how much of a noose uh, high inflation and, and higher interest rates have been around the markets and the economy. And, you know, you get this relief. But you know, the markets have been trading in a 3,600 to 4,000 trading range for many months now. So all today did was just take us to the upper end of that range. I, there wasn't too long ago where a 7.7% increase in inflation year over year was quite fearful. Uh, today, it was re people were rejoicing. Uh, you know, editorially well, speaking, the market, yeah, market focus on rate of change rather than the absolute level. Yeah, the absolute level is still painful, but the rate of change is what markets are obviously celebrating. I guess my general question here, Peter, is are the markets getting ahead of themselves? Well, uh, markets are obviously an emotional beast, and you know, hints of, of, of a slowdown in inflation is, is all they, they need to, to celebrate because of also what that means for monetary policy. The problem is, is that we haven't really felt outside of housing and, uh, and, and parts of autos like used cars and subprime, we haven't really felt the, 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 the major impact of these rate increases and the inevitable economic slowdown that, that is going to come with it. That's going to be a 2023 thing. So while um, maybe we're at the end of the rate hikes, that doesn't mean that the Fed's going to pivot to cutting and we're going to have to deal with and become more accustomed to uh, a, a sustainably higher rate environment. So yeah, we can celebrate this uh, maybe through the end of the year, but uh, next year don't think that it's going to really be any easier as uh, the bear market shifts to what I call the second phase, and that's the, the economic and earnings reality of higher rates in a slowing economy. Where do the cracks remain? Uh, you know, I keep on seeing the headlines of uh, tech companies uh, laying off workers. <clears throat> Meta obviously made the big headline that they were going to lay off 11,000. Uh, I had seen a headline that some of the transportation companies were going to be laying off workers as well. Uh, that seems to be a crack. You know, let me know what you think about that. Where else are we seeing cracks where, you know, beyond that of a slowing of interest rate hiking and maybe we've seen peak inflation, what other concerns are out there right now that's really got your attention? My, my biggest concern are those companies and households uh, that have borrowed floating rate uh, because the, the rise in interest expense is, is a shock. And uh, it's going to be mostly felt on the household side, I'm sorry, on the business side because households you know, typically get a 30-year mortgage so they're, they're less vulnerable. It's really the, the, the business side and particularly small and medium-sized businesses that have no choice but to borrow um, Floating. Well, I shouldn't say don't have a choice, but typically borrow floating rate. And if you did not hedge, uh, this is going to be a major pain point. Particularly also in real estate. You know, when you think about uh, any real estate developer or real estate owner that um, was not, I don't want to say smart enough, but um, forward-looking enough to think that they shouldn't have locked in fixed, but instead uh, borrowed floating, 
for a couple of years, call it two to three years, on the, on the belief that come three years they can always refinance. Uh, well, they're going to be refinancing at a much higher interest expense. So if you were building a, a new building in 2020 or 2021 and you got a construction loan, and when that project's done, it needs to transition into a conventional loan, well, you were certainly not penciling in interest rate uh, assumptions like we're seeing now in those, in those budgets. So it's going to be a shock in 2023, uh, again, for those that have borrowed floating, and, and that's really uh, a big concern of mine. Well, let's talk about the interest rates, uh, massive moves, uh, yields uh, uh, catching a bid today and actually down all around from the two-year to the 30-year. Uh, this is an, It was a very interesting day because on the back of, and you had wrote it in the newsletter that really caught my attention, the 10-year auction earlier this week you wrote was absolutely awful. Well, the 30-year was actually pretty good. I guess there's a three-part question in there, Peter, and I know it's kind of a lot, but, you know, Kind of give me the sense of the justification of these moves and yields today and why such discrepancies in the auctions between the 10-year and the 30-year? It, it, it is possible that maybe it was just CPI uh, that resulted in the hesitancy in the 10-year since it came, the auction came before, and post-CPI, the 30-year being much better. But the 30-year also has its own dynamic in terms of buyers. It has a lot of pension funds, insurance companies, that are, are, are just uh, trying to own assets that match up with, with liabilities. So there is a different, different dynamic, but it could have just been the CPI. But I think generally speaking for treasuries, while lower inflation will certainly be a benefit, you know, there's still offsets, uh, technically speaking with, well, not really technically, but it's fundamental, that the, the U.S. Treasury has a lot of supply coming, tax receipts are falling, uh, the Fed is essentially selling via QT, Foreigners, particularly the, the Japanese and Chinese, are, are outright uh, seeing their holdings, U.S. Treasuries, fall, and banks aren't buying as much. So there is, I can make an argument for the 10 year yield to go to 5% uh, for those reasons, but then I can also make the argument that it goes to 3.5% because of, of, of uh, falling inflation and, uh, and, and, and shrinking economy. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting tug of war in 2023. If you're out there managing your own retirement account, uh, are you looking at bonds right now? Would you would you advise looking at at the bonds where they're at right here, or does it too still too volatile? Well, we 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 do manage money for those retirees, um, so we have to think about these questions every day. And the the good thing about this bond self this year, and the bond self is is one of the worst or the worst bond years that we've seen in generations is that there's finally now interest rates that, that bondholders can, can capture. And uh, I've been pretty bullish on more of the shorter end because I, I spelled out there's still risks on the longer end. And one thing I didn't mention with longer end risks is what's going to happen to the, to the long end of the U.S. yield curve when the Bank of Japan uh, gets off yield curve control? Or how is the European Central Bank going to manage not just further raising interest rates, but QT possibly in Q1 and what that means for global interest rates. So that's another major macro factor that could lead to higher interest rates. So um, short end yields to me are still uh, more attractive, but they're, they're, they're relatively high compared to what we've seen. You have two-year yields uh, off the highs, but near 15-year highs. So 
to me, that's pretty attractive for a fixed income investor. Again, in a yield-starved world up until this year, uh, you can actually get yield finally. I guess uh, my follow-up question, and this, allow me to be naive if I may, but are we anywhere close to Japan getting off yield curve control, or would that have to be a change at the helm with Kuroda? Uh, isn't his term up here soon? His term is up in April. Okay. Now, if the dollar rally is done and the yen actually starts to bounce, there'll be less pressure on Kuroda to change that policy. Uh, the pressure on that policy was because of that yen weakness. So he's getting a little respite here uh, and, and is going to be able to hang on uh, a, a bit longer, uh, again, if this dollar rally is, is, is ending, which I think it is, because I think it's proven to be just an interest rate differential thing uh, more than anything else. And uh, one of the things that gave me good evidence of that is the Mexican peso is at the highest level since March 2020. Not because the Mexican government, the socialist government, is anything great or the economy is great. It's because their central bank started raising rates in June 2021, and they raised again this week to 10%. So um, if the Fed is likely to the end of their rate hiking cycle, then to me the dollar is at the end of its rally. Mm, very interesting. I mean, obviously one to watch. It. You know, there, a couple months ago we thought it was the end of the dollar rally and we were proven wrong, but you know, maybe we'll see a little bit of flow, follow through here. I, I, I want to ask you, with the fall in the dollar, uh, precious metals have had an outstanding week, and you've been writing about your bullishness for gold as, as humbling, I guess you could say, as it's been for the last couple of years here, Peter. Uh, but a massive move in precious metals. Let's just stick with gold here. Uh, it's busted through that long-term downtrend. You could call it a breakout. It had some continued buying in, you know, I guess watching this, is this more of a f fundamental uh, reason Fundamental reason for the buying gold or is it more of a short squeeze as well? I, you know, give me your thoughts. Well, let's, what, what's been the pressure on the, on the metals the last two years? It's been a stronger dollar and an aggressive Fed. Well, the Fed certainly is going to remain aggressive in, in the sense of keeping rates high, but if they're about to slow the pace of rate increases, uh, with interest rates that are still well below the rate of inflation, thus still deeply negative real interest rates. And if that also leads to a cooling in this dollar rally, well, then um, the pressure points on gold and silver are sort of going away. And um, I, I think that's going to be the bull case. And you look at overseas, e even if the ECB takes their benchmark rate to two and a half after another 75 basis point rate increase, if they do that, you know, they're still printing inflation at 10%. The UK still has inflation at 10%. So um, I, I still think that this deeply negative real interest rate environment that we're still going to be in for a while, uh, and if the dollar weakens, this could be very good for the metals. But I've said this before, and it's been a tough couple of years, but um, I'm still pretty confident that I'm going to be right. Was it encouraging for you this week? I mean, I guess I think it was encouraging for everybody. But, you know, like, is it is it the all clear? I guess you see this as an all clear move. I, I, I I've said all clear before, so I can't say it again. Uh, uh, um, um, I, can, I guess I can say all clear with my fingers crossed. Um, but one one interesting thing with the metals is silver has traded very well over the the past couple months relative to gold, which I thought was pretty interesting. And um, I don't know if that was a tell to this or uh, or something else, but. Um, I, I think both are um, 
going to resume their upward trend again because I think the, the, the pressure points on them and the bear case against them are, uh, are, are going to fall away. If the move in precious metals wasn't enough and the volatility in the bond market wasn't enough and the CPI rally, let's talk about something that's got a lot of people on the edge of their seats. Uh, you and I, neither of us are digital currency crypto people, but the big news is with this uh, fallout uh, for the FTX exchange here. Uh, I asked on Twitter this week because I'm just I, – I don't know the space well enough, but from looking at the headlines, I said it feels like this is contagion. And I guess – Peter, I want to get your thoughts here. Is what we're witnessing with this fallout contagion throughout the cryptocurrency space that seems like a lot of wealth has just evaporated? Yeah, th- this, is, this is when accidents happen when the cost of capital goes up. Because not only does that create its own uh, challenge, but it also reveals all the drunkenness and activity that took place when when the liquor was flowing, and the and rates were at zero, and central banks were printing money left and right. Uh, now, there there are parts of the crypto world that I think are going to be just fine, and I still think that the whole concept and technology is still very interesting. But um, you know, just as we saw in the late '90s or early 2000s, you know, a lot of internet companies that went bust because they had crappy business models, and they were reckless with the with with their with all the money that was thrown at them. You know, the same thing happens, and and history repeats. And you know, those of us that have been in the markets long enough have seen this movie before. Not exactly the same movie, but derivations of it. And this is no different. And um, there'll be more accidents, uh, not just in crypto land, but generally speaking. But this is the opportunity for the more conservatively managed businesses, the lower leveraged um, businesses, the, the fixed rate businesses can, can manage through this and take advantage of, of other, other, uh, other pain in parts of the market. I mean, there were a lot of institutional money behind this company. Uh, which was shocking to just see the list of, you know, pensions, institutions, you know, huge names. I guess, you know, it, I guess looking back when you saw Bitcoin at like 67,000 or whatever the top was, you know, I guess it was I, that was obviously a bubble, but the, it didn't seem like the bubble popped then. It just seemed to slowly deflate since they started increasing rates and, now it was deflating. It's not necessarily a bubble pop. It just seems like it's melting away. But I don't think crypto goes anywhere. I think it's still here, but it's got to be cleaned up. I, you know, I guess, is it getting to a point to where maybe it's, I mean, if you are a speculator, you're looking to buy this thing? Well, just just as, as, as anything new creates its own hype, you know, crypto saw a tremendous amount of hype and euphoria. And a lot of it was BS. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried himself admitted that a lot of the yield farming and stuff that was going on was a Ponzi scheme. He said it himself. So unfortunately, you know, that that, that for him has crashed as as um, as we've seen. Uh, but yeah, parts of this will, will will survive. But free money puts, and I said this before, puts beer goggles on people. Whether you're a smart institution 
or you're just some retail person who wants to just catch a trend. And when, when, when interest rates are higher and you're no longer in that zero rate money printing environment, uh, you got to prove that you can stand on your own because a lot of businesses don't exist in a non-zero rate world. And we're seeing that now. Do you think this is the end of it, or will we see more? Will the contagion continue? Oh, we'll, we'll see more contagion. I, I can't necessarily tell you where within crypto, or even if there's anything left in crypto to blow up, uh, or, or someplace else. Or maybe it, it's not major blow-ups. I'm actually concerned that this can just be death by a thousand cuts type environment. And, you know, you mentioned Bitcoin, that it just sort of just, slight, you know, deflated over time. You know that that's what the environment that we can be in. Yeah, we'll see some accidents like like FTX, but this is this is a a new um, playing field uh, for investors in the economy in, in the sense of a higher rate environment that could stay a higher rate environment that could just chip away at um, valuations, can just chip away at economic activity. You know, we'll muddle through, but you know, with markets still pricey. You know, muddling through may not be good enough. And economic growth-wise, we're just going to have to be accustomed to a slower rate of growth as long as we remain, you know, an interest rate-sensitive economy. Uh, Peter, we're reaching the end of the year, hard to believe. Uh, holidays are among us. And I don't know, this may be the last time you and I chat uh, before uh, the new year. Uh, which that's very odd to say. I think that's the first time I've said it <laughs> thus far. But, uh, you know, what are something you're really paying attention to here? Or you maybe pinpoint to listeners over the next month and a half, especially for most people here who are in the metals and the mining and precious metal space, what's something that you would want them to pay attention to as we kind of wrap up 2022? Well, I mean, for the, the metal standpoint, it's obviously going to be the dollar. Uh, and, and the dollar showing clear signs of, of, of topping out, and and you know the day we're doing this interview, it's, the dollar's had its worst day uh, in, in in years. So um, that is obviously going to be the key thing there. And you know, as I mentioned, I think this leverage loan story is is got more pain ahead uh, that we have to keep our eye on. Now, in the last month and a half of the year, you know anything's possible. We can continue to to rally as we ride out. This, this this hope and belief and likely reality that inflation will continue to, to recede and that we're coming to the end of these rate hiking, uh, these rate hikes from the Fed. Uh, at the same time, we still have to be worried about 2023, I believe, uh, in terms of the economic impact and consequences of this higher rate environment, but we may not, from a market perspective, think about and deal with that until 2023. But it's something that that investors should be cognizant of, and that you know the, the, this bear market's not over because you know the, the Fed's done or close to being done raising rates, and inflation has topped out. Uh, because now, and we, we I've been saying for for many months that inflation's topped out. The question is, is how fast does it fall, and where does it eventually settle out at? Do we just go back to the one to two percent world pre-COVID and rates go back to a very low level? Or are we going to settle out at a higher level of, of inflation than we're used to, which I believe more like 3 to 4%, and we're going to see rates stay higher for longer, um, which, yeah, we'll get through, we'll survive, the economy will move on, but uh, will it move on at the same pace? And uh, can markets sustain 
still high multiples in that kind of environment. Uh, one last question before I let you go. I, and I meant to ask you this. Are you at all surprised with how resilient the American consumer is through this economic tightening cycle? Well, it's not homogeneous because uh, lower income consumers are certainly bending. And you're hearing that from uh, a lot of different companies. Whether you're selling a car, a used car, and you're hearing uh, about uh, pain pressures on the subprime area, or you're dealing with uh, Kellogg's talking about uh, you know, rising elasticity for their products and uh, the low-end consumer that is, that is feeling the pain. So it depends on where you are in that, that income spectrum. But you even hear stories about higher-income people that are now shopping at Walmart to try to save some money. So the consumer is feeling it. Uh, it it's just having a more pronounced impact right now on the lower-end consumer. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I'm glad we could get this in. There was so much that happened this week, and we, I think we covered all the, the key points. But until uh, next time, uh, have yourself a good uh, holiday season. Hopefully, Happy New Year. And we'll be sure thanks, to Trevor. Space. You too. All right. Appreciate that's, it. Thanks so much. That's Peter Bookfire, everybody. Uh, we'll take a break and be back with our second segment. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, Trevor Hall back here on our Friday long form episode to get you into uh, actually a long week up in Canada as the markets will be closed on Friday. Uh, and then, you know, I guess I think the markets will continue to be open in the U.S. Uh, we're going to focus a little bit this segment of the episode focusing uh, on the metals and the miners, specifically some of the junior explorers here uh, with a returning guest, Bart Gromer. He's the editor-in-chief of the Independent Investment Magazine's Bourse Tips and Tuiax Bourse. Uh, I apologize for uh, botching all the Belgium words in there, Bart, uh, but thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, hi, Trevor. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, last time you were on, you got... Uh, you and Paul were able to connect. This is the first conversation you and I have had uh, recording official. So uh, I'll try to take it easy on you, but I can't promise anything, Bart. <laughs> no worry. <laughs> uh, let's let's get a general thought here of what we're seeing in the markets. We are connecting here uh, Thursday afternoon. We're seeing quite a bit of short covering, a rebound in the general markets. We'll talk about precious metals here in just a second. But uh, listen, it's been a while since we've seen the NASDAQ up close to 6%, the S&P up 4.5%, Dow Jones up 2.5%. It's a general rally all around. You know, Watching this after the inflation numbers came in a little bit better than expected. Give me your general thoughts here, Bart. Yeah, well, uh, to me, it's quite clear that everything is uh, pushed by interest rates uh, going down. If you see the 10-year yield on uh, U.S. bonds, uh, it's uh, it's down 6.69% uh, uh, to 3.865. Uh, clearly, a lot of uh, retail investors were short in the market. I already had the feeling the last few weeks that uh, big institutions were covering their position. 
And now, of course, uh, well, we have weaker than expected uh, inflation numbers, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's driving uh, the bond market. Yeah, driving the bond market. That uh, that means that uh, shorts have to cover, and uh, like the Nasdaq, uh, you uh, Dow Jones is up, uh, but also uh, you see a very very. Uh, the dollar weakening, which is quite interesting, uh, and uh, you see precious metals and uh, even copper uh, up today uh, quite significantly. So uh, uh, technically, it says a lot. Uh, it's uh, reversing uh, or changing the course and uh, changing the trend. And of course, a lot of algorithms are also uh, acting on that. Uh, let's have a little bit of a come to Jesus moment here, Bart. I mean, inflation, although it came in better than expected, is still at 7.7%. It's higher than the Fed wants it to be, obviously. Uh, have we seen peak inflation, and where do we go from here? Uh, that's a very difficult question to ask, Trevor. Uh, it all depends on, <laughs> of course, macroeconom what macroeconomically and geopolitically happens, of course. Eh? Mm -hmm. Um I have the feeling that if you look at energy prices, uh, for example, that we uh, saw an intermediate peak. Eh? Uh, and I think the coming months we're going to see uh, lower energy prices. Of course, if Saudi Arabia, for example, doesn't cut uh, oil production, eh? uh, you always have to keep that in mind. Or if something happens in Ukraine, you never know. Eh? It's an unpredictable world we're in right now. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this move in precious metals. Uh, gold obviously having a very nice week, even kind of sniffing out uh, the inflation numbers uh, back starting on, what was it, Monday or Tuesday? Well, actually last week, it tested that downtrend line earlier this week, busted through that line, Good thing to see. And then that next line of resistance was about 1740. And as we speak, gold currently trading on the futures basis, 1755, give or take. Obviously, a nice move here, getting a little bit actually overbought on the daily chart here, Bart, uh, rather quickly. As as somebody who's watching the gold price, do we, you know, are you, obviously it's encouraging to see bids coming into the gold. Was this more along the lines of a technical bid where we were or is it are we seeing a little bit more you know just general buying in the market given where we're at with the fears of inflation maybe central banks starting to I, I hate to say it but start to think about pivoting well i think there are multiple things here uh, first of all you have the dollar weakening and a weaker dollar always has been a good driver for uh, the gold price that's point one and two is you also have to look at the, at the silver price, which is a good precursor uh, for the gold price movement. And we already saw since a few weeks that silver was up, well, was behaving pretty strongly compared to gold. Yeah. So, um, and then of course you had a lot of shorts in 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 the gold space. These shorts are also covering now. I think the general market, uh, for example, I was participating at the Swiss Metals Institute conference this week. I, I, I hear from a lot of participants that there's disinterest in the sector for the moment. Yeah? So let's keep it with uh, short covering. But of course, that can quickly change. Yeah? Interest in the gold market tends to fluctuate uh, from uh, being hated to being loved in a, in a very short uh, time space. What would be one of those signs that you'd be paying attention to when that switch 
gets flipped? Uh, well, for me, of course, I, I look at technical points. Yeah? The more uh, resistance points that are broken yeah? and the more momentum there comes, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty interesting sign. And, and on the other hand, I also want to see a movement in, uh, in, the, in the, the price of gold producers, eh? um, the tier ones and the tier twos, if they if start moving up quite significantly, uh, if the JDX and the JDXJ uh, start moving violent, violently, uh, that attracts new investors uh, to or existing investors to the market who add to their positions. Um, and then sentiment can uh, quite dramatically change and very fast. Uh, give me a sense of what you're kind of sharing with your subscribers here when it comes to the the gold equities. Are you are you perhaps recommending or advising people to start looking at those big gold producer? I mean, they have just been hammered so hard the last few months. In fact, you know, things like Newmont were down 40, 60 percent at one time. Obviously, they have been recovering since the, the gold start since gold started catching a bit again. But some of these mid tiers continue to kind of be sitting on the sideline waiting for bids here. We can get into the you know the typical playbook you know the royalty plays and into the major producers trickling down and the last bids tend to get those risky juniors. Uh, did we start seeing that cycle kind of percolating once again here, Bart? I, I think at least we see the start of it. Yeah, and uh, it always has to start somewhere, so that's already a good sign. Yeah? Uh, on the other hand, yeah, the, the, the explorers, they need financing. So a lot of explorers are in a, in a desperate position. Uh, the bigger, uh, the, let's say the tier one and the tier two gold players, they keep on making money. Uh, only point is, okay, what about uh, their cash costs? Eh? Inflation is pushing, pushing up costs. And well, you see some producers really having problems in controlling costs. Eh? And I think that for the for the next few uh, quarters will have a significant impact on on their results. On the other hand, if if gold keeps pushing up, yeah, uh, their rentability is going to improve, and eh? so they're gonna make more money. And well, that's gonna that's gonna pull back interest into the to the investment investment community. Uh, obviously all good signs here at the beginning. Uh, you've done a lot of traveling lately. In fact, you and I have been trying to get this interview scheduled for uh, quite some time. Uh, it's, you've been hard man to pin down here, Bart. You Anywhere from Yukon to Switzerland, obviously, you just mentioned. Doing a lot of site visits. Uh, you know, give us kind of a sense of a few maybe takeaways of site visits you've been on. Uh, and ideas that maybe you took away that you'd like to share with some of the listeners. I, I mean, recently, I think you were in Morocco. Yes, that was correct. I visited uh, the Zagunder uh, silver mine of Aya Gold and Silver in uh, in Morocco uh, a few weeks ago. A very interesting uh, site visit. Very beautiful country. Um, it's a country for, uh, let's say, precious metals investors that is not very well known. There are not many players active there. Um, the Aya, this Gunder Aya gold and silver mine is in fact uh, for more than 30% controlled by Belgian investors. Uh, and that's not only readers of Burstips because we are invested in uh, Aya gold and silver. Uh, but historically, there's been a very strong connection with, uh, with a, 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 let's say, a very wealthy shareholder base in, in Belgium. 
the mine has been doing a turnaround. Um, in fact, uh, early to, uh, 2020, the, uh, they had uh, very big uh, difficulties at the mine. And then uh, Benoit Lassalle, uh, who is the founder of Semafo, stepped in. He took, uh, he took the helm, eh? he took control of the company, uh, and he's been, uh, he's been doing a fantastic turnaround. Uh, I met with the entire operational team of Zgunder, and I was truly impressed by their knowledge, uh, by their professionality, and how good uh, they're taking care of, uh, let's say, ESG, uh, because that's important right now. Uh, and uh, well, they recently announced uh, that they're going to close uh, ESG bond for uh, 100 million to finance the expansion of the Zagundair silver mine. And if you look at the grades, for example, uh, that they have uh, presented the last year, they're fantastic. They're fantastic grades. So uh, uh, they're going to increase production uh, to 8 million ounces. Uh, they have a plan to further increase it to 12 to 14 million in the coming years. Um, so in terms, if you are a silver bull and if you like an, uh, an operating mine and if you're looking for an operating mine that is going to make good money, I think you, uh, you have to be there. Uh, they have a second asset, uh, which is called Bumadin. Uh, it's, um, it's a base, uh, it's more base metals. And it was in fact uh, a project that was going to be shelved. Uh, uh, and they uh, re-looked at the old uh, drill core and their chief geologist uh, decided to do some extra work and uh, now it turns out that there uh, might be quite some potential there. So it could be in the coming years that we see uh, very interesting drill results from, uh, from that asset too. Uh, Morocco is no longer just a phosphate miner anymore. It's pretty outstanding. Any conversation, like have some people transition from the phosphate mining into precious metals mining? I didn't know. Just curious question here. Yeah. Well, what's quite interesting is that the local CEO, uh, Mustafa Elofi, he was the president of uh, OCP, which was the biggest phosphate mm. miner in uh, in the world, in the, from Morocco. So he's, uh, at the, let's say, at the local level, he's at the helm. He's a very well-respected man. Uh, we met him. Uh, he was uh, with us during the trip. And, uh, yeah, I, I have a very, uh, let's say, professional impression from, from not only him, but from the entire team. Uh, I saw many other uh, uh, minds in the past. Uh, I was, for example, at Yukon Investment Tour, um, and I visited uh, Alexco. Uh, my impression was less positive from Alexco because the day afterwards they announced the closing. Uh the impression from uh, Aya Gold and Silver, well, decent team, decent team. So take a look. These guys gonna gonna surprise us in the coming years, I think. Okay, All right, let's let's stick with Yukon here. Uh, I know one company you also follow is Western Copper and Gold, and we have them obviously on quite frequently here on the podcast. Uh, give us a sense of you know, were you able to get boots on the ground there yourself at Casino? Uh, give me your sense here. I, we ha we always talked to Paul Westells, CEO of the company, and we did so last week regarding that continued uh, partnership with Rio Tinto. Would love to get your little editorial here about that partnership and what you're seeing with the with the project. 
Well, uh, first of all, we visited the project. Uh, we visited the, the casino project in the Yukon. Uh, interesting to see it. Uh, uh, you also see that uh, the contractors for Rio Tinto are doing uh, still a lot of work there. Uh, looking forward towards the deep drill results uh, and looking forward also mm -hmm. to what uh, Rio Tinto will do in the coming weeks because uh, their agreement ends at, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the end of uh, November. You have the option uh, to for another year uh, uh, to have an exclusivity on, on uh, Casino. Uh, and, of course... What is interesting is what we're hearing uh, in in the market because people talk uh, not only at Western Copper but also other copper uh, copper explorers talk, and well, you hear that uh, not only at Rio Tinto but so also other uh, precious metals and gold miners are very interested to step into this space. So I would not be surprised if uh, somebody else is trying to get ahead of uh, Rio Tinto in, uh, and tries to put his hands on a casino. Just out of curiosity, Bart, do you, you know, I've always kind of wondered this. Do you think Rio Tinto's continued move to uh, gain control of Oyutolga will have any um, sway in their decision with casino or any other projects that they're currently involved in on the exploration and development side? My two cents, I think a delay uh, might delay the decision process on uh, putting their hands on casino. Yeah? So you, would, you wouldn't be surprised if that one-year extension was put in place? Oh, I'm 100% certain that the uh, extension is going to be... Uh, that's going to call the extension. That that would be logical. Also, from a, a gameplay perspective, eh? <laughs> they play. Uh, it's a, it's playing cards. Eh? It's a, they're doing a dance. <laughs> eh? And also, the team of Paul Westcells uh, at Western Copper, they are also doing a dance, and they want to have uh, the prettiest partner, eh? which is logical. So it's it's a game of cards, and it would sure. be very logical for them for them to extend. Well, as shareholders, I mean, let's hope that the next year is a lot better in the markets for these types of projects than they have been the last two years. And that could play out better for shareholders of Western Copper and Gold because it would increase potentially the price for a takeover. I'm just kind of thinking things out loud here. I mean, at this point, you know, you, we have seen that market cap be it, – it's been a lot higher in recent years than it is now. Um, I think it would be potentially be favorable for a one-year extension between those parties. That's just my editorial. That could be, of course, what will be one of the main decision factors is the copper price. Yeah? And we see, yeah. uh, together with the precious metals, that, that copper is up quite significantly. Uh, that's point one. A very good Thing is also that copper worldwide copper inventories at the uh, at the markets are very low, uh, and yeah. don't forget we're in Europe because I'm from Europe. We're at uh, we're already in a recession in the United States and in uh, the the other side of the world. We're at the eve of the, of, the, of a recession, and copper inventories are extremely low. If you ask me uh, if this con trend continues, copper is going to go up 
uh, even further, Dr. Copper is dead, meaning if you think that uh, copper price should go down because we're in a recession, I think that's gonna not going to work anymore. Mm, interesting. Well, let's stick with these big uh, copper gold projects here on uh, the back of the conversation with Casino. Uh, there's been quite a bit of news out of Ecuador, some good, some bad. Uh, a couple just highlights here. Uh, Adventus and Salazar Resources, they've had their investment uh, contract signed by the government of Ecuador. I would uh, highly encourage everybody to listen to Paul Harris's interview with Adventist Mining that aired just yesterday. Some really key takeaways about that agreement. On the on the somewhat concerning side, CEO of Soul Gold, who I think has been less than a year, has stepped away from the company. Uh, don't know quite what to take of that. <laughs> There's been a lot of volatility with that company and that equity over the last couple of years. It's been ongoing. Uh, but Solaris Resources continues to to drill and find mineral expansion. I know you had a nice, good conversation with Solaris and a couple of key takeaways. Maybe you might want to share what you learned. Yeah. Well, uh, what's interesting is is the work they're going to do um uh, in 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 the coming months uh, i think early uh, early next year uh, they're going to drill uh, the the new target uh, they have a first drill hole there uh, so looking forward uh, to drill the results uh, from from that uh, the uh, soil sampling uh, gave some some interesting uh, presented some interesting rocks I think uh, near term, what's going to help the stock price of, of Solaris is that uh, we might expect the investment protection agreement signed by uh, the federal government in Ecuador. Uh, and that can change a lot. Uh, and, uh, well, you mentioned uh, the news from Ecuador uh, today. Well, if you see how the stock of uh, Solaris is reacting to that, uh, it 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 means that uh, people also expect uh, some some positive news uh, from uh, Solaris and and the government in the coming uh, let's say in the coming weeks. And uh, let's be honest, uh, the the news from Ecuador wasn't very helpful for uh, let's say uh, their investors, uh, their heartbeats in the last few months. So, uh, yeah, also there we see uh, a change in direction of the stock price, which is, uh, I think, a good thing. And I think at the end, uh, if the IPA is signed with the government, if the local population is getting along quite well with the team of Solaris, this project is going to get sold. Uh, Bart, let's uh, have a wrap-up here. And I want to ask you kind of about some ideas of, you know, next year. Um, you know, how do you give a thought about where this mining and exploration market heads as we wrap up 2022? What do you expect to see or would like to see in 2023? And maybe on the back of that, what is something of concern you have for 2023? Well, there's a difference between what I would like to see and what we will <laughs> see, of course. <laughs> it's uh, we never get what we want. Um, let's say let's put it like this first point what's the US dollar going to do uh, if it's going to weaken further it's going to be very good for gold and silver uh, uh, so I see gold and silver recovering 
Are we doing, going to cross the $2,000 mark in gold? I don't know yet, but it might come. Uh, that's point number one. Uh, in silver, you see the inventories in silver also substantially going down. So you might get one of the coming months or quarters uh, a silver squeeze again or an attempt of a, of a silver squeeze. That would be extremely positive for the, for the miners, the big miners, the smaller miners, and of course the explorers. Uh, on the other hand, I think I'm a bit uh, worried about is the costs. Uh, uh, there's a lot of inflation in, uh, in the costs of uh, gold and silver mining. So companies have to well, count every penny they spend. Uh, um, what I think for the, let's say, the explorers, I think the good explorers, they're always going to find money. Uh, but I think, let's say, in the first few uh, quarters, it's going to be difficult for the smaller ones. The sort of light lifestyle companies, they will have a, a difficult uh, start of uh, 2023, I think. That's a, that's a good thing, Bart. That's of course, sure. that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> the, the problem is uh, that investors also get attracted by... Uh, by lifestyle companies. Eh? And uh, let's not forget in 2022 what we had. We had pure gold uh, going bankrupt, eh? which was very negative for the sector. Eh? Hmm. Yeah. All right, Bart. Uh, lots to look forward to. I appreciate having you on. Um, you know, we'll uh, take note of uh, watching. I, I, and I'm with you. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious about if, if, if these metal prices, specifically precious metals, if they can recover. Can they outpace rising costs? And that will be the big difference here uh, regarding, you know, investability, if I may say so. But I don't know exactly what those metals prices need to be to push upon those line items of, of inputs. But it's got to be higher than where they're at now, it seems like. Don't you agree? At the end, they will have to. Otherwise, people will stop mining. That's right. That's right. All right. Bart, thanks so much for your time. Have yourself a great weekend. And uh, hopefully I'll see you somewhere as we are traveling. It's been a long time. Okay. Thanks, Trevor. And uh, good a, luck with the show. You, you owe me a beer, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I will. All right. Uh, that's a wrap here, everybody. We'll be back uh, Monday uh, as we kind of get into the holiday schedule. A little bit of... Um, uh, not your typical schedule of mining stock daily, uh, given the travel schedule and U.S. Thanksgiving coming down the pipeline, but uh, some important interviews and updates come down the pipeline. Have a great weekend. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.